it is my great pleasure and delight to introduce to you Ken Elzinger. Mr. Elzinger is a professor of economics at the University of Virginia, and I dare say that there are a number of your past students uh, here in the congregation amongst us today. Uh, a godly and faithful man, an elder emeritus at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he and his wife have a wonderful ministry. He sits on a number of boards for ministries uh, all over the place, including InterVarsity. And so, Mr. Elzinga, we are delighted. Ken, God bless you, and thank you for being here. And look forward to your sermon on what would Jesus say to the Fed? Just kidding. That's a joke. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but we do look forward to the, Lord, the word that the Lord is going to bring us through you as we stand and sing hymn number 143, verses 1 through 4. You may be seated. If you're surprised that a professor of economics is giving a Lenten message in this sacred place, I feel the same way. At one level, I'm here by invitation. At another level, I trust we're all here by divine appointment as we celebrate this Lenten season, which culminates in Easter Sunday. Most people think of the Bible as a book of answers or a book of instructions. But the Bible teems with questions of every kind, and they're asked not only by people in the Bible, but by God himself. And this Lenten talk is about questions in the Bible. And because the top 10 format is so popular with my students, I've entitled my talk this Lenten season, The Top 10 Questions in the Bible. Question number one is from the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and here's the question. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now when a question is asked by God, it's not a leap to presume that the question is rhetorical. Something else is going on here, apart from God wondering where Adam could have wandered off to. God knew where Adam was, but God wanted Adam to respond. God wanted Adam to come face to face with the terrible gap that existed between God and Adam and Eve after they had sinned in the garden. God still asks that question of us today, where are you? which is a shorthand way of asking, what are you up to? The second question on my top 10 list also comes from the book of Genesis. It's one of the most widely quoted questions in the Bible. The lead in to the question is a question from God. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And the second big question is Cain's answer. I don't know, Cain replied, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? All of us have asked that question in one form or another as we wonder about our responsibility to somebody else. When I travel in an underdeveloped country and observe the poverty experienced by others, this, this question is a, a daunting, even a haunting one for me. Am I my brother's keeper? Question number three is from God and is recorded for us by the prophet Isaiah. 
Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Whom shall I send, God asks. This question raises another one for me. How many of us are Christians because somebody we know answered that question the way Isaiah did? Somebody said, Lord, I'll go, be your voice to others. When I consider this question, I think of the handful of people, two in my family, two outside my family, who said, here, my Lord, I'll tell Ken Elzinga about you. I wonder how many of us have thanked the parent, the brother, the sister, the pastor, the young life leader, the Sunday school teacher, the classmate in our college dorm who answered that question, here I am, Lord, I'll be that person, send me. I'd like to think question number four would belong on anybody's list of top ten questions in the Bible. It's raised by Mary, the mother of Jesus. She asked the question of an angel, the angel Gabriel, who shows up out of the blue in the middle of the night to announce that Mary is to rejoice that she is blessed and favored among women. Now I want you to listen to the lead-in to Mary's question. Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. His kingdom will never end. And now consider the question Mary raises in response. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin? Mary's question, how will this be, is literally wonderful, for it's full of wonder. Millions of people for centuries now have affirmed the Apostles' Creed that the Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Question number five is an odd one. We usually think of one person asking a question, but this one comes from a group of men. Wealthy, prominent, royalty, who had traveled from a distant land to pay homage to a king. And they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And according to the biblical account, when these three men of royal lineage found the object of their worship, it was a baby boy who was wrapped in rags, asleep in a barn, in an obscure village in the Middle East. How's that for an answer to a question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. During Lent, it's a sign of wisdom to ask, where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Question number six comes up after a part of the Bible that's painful to read. The words are those of the Apostle Paul. And to one degree or another, I suspect most of us here can relate to what Paul wrote about himself. Here are his words. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And Paul sums up the situation by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he asks question number six on the top ten list. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's question, who will deliver me, is as relevant today at this season of Lent as it was then. The seventh question is the only one in the Bible that gets asked not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus himself is the questioner. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered late, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, Simon Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Have you ever wondered how often Jesus would need to ask us this question to get our attention? And if we said, yes, Lord, we love you. What evidence is there as to the depth and reality of our answer? Lent is a season to examine that evidence. And now we're up to question number eight. It also was asked by the Lord Jesus. He set the stage for it with a story about a Jewish man who was traveling between two neighboring villages when the man was robbed, mugged, and left helpless by the side of the road. And two prominent members from this man's own community passed him by. And it isn't that they didn't see him there or didn't know what he'd been, that he'd been injured. They knew. But as we'd say today, they moved on. Then a man from an enemy race, a Samaritan, came upon the injured man and stopped to take care of him. Not only caring for his wounds, but putting him up at an inn. And when Jesus finished telling this story of the three men, he asked his listeners this question, my question number eight. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And from this story and the question Jesus asks, we get what is now called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And from this parable, we learn something of what Jesus might have thought about the question that Cain had raised earlier. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, we're at question number nine on my list of the Bible's top ten questions. It's a question that shows up in a dream. The dream or vision was the Apostle John's. And this vision makes up the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. And John wrote, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And then in the book of Revelation, this question is raised about the scroll. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And after this question is asked, John writes, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And then John began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book. And one of the elders said to John, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And then John looks again and he sees a lamb standing as if slain. 
So this is very mysterious. What was the answer to the angel's question of who was worthy to open the scroll? Was it a lion or was it a lamb? So just ask yourself, could any two animals be more different than a lion and a lamb? We're comparing the king of the jungle with the most helpless of creatures. And then we learn from John that these words were sung about the Lamb of God. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, both refer to Jesus. And now we've reached question number 10. I won't bet the farm that this is the most important question in the Bible, but it is very important because it goes to the very heart of who Jesus is. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others that you're one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. And Jesus gave Peter an A plus for that response. Jesus tells Peter that he's blessed because of that answer. So there you have it, my top 10 list of questions from the Bible. I think they're all as relevant today as when they were first asked. And as this Lenten season moves to its culmination on Easter Sunday, let me return to that last question that Jesus asks. Who do you say that I am? Now this is the kind of question that could require a very long answer. Um, the Apostle John tells us that if all were to be written down about the Lord Jesus, libraries could not contain the whole of it. But there's also a short answer. And there's not a lot of sense getting bogged down in a long answer if we don't know the short answer. And the best answer I can give to this question is also the shortest one because it sums up the entirety of God's revelation to man from beginning to end. It's the shortest creed in the Bible. It's only three words long. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is much more to be sure. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Son of God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Great Shepherd. He's the Rose of Sharon, the Friend of Sinners, the Bread of Life, the Rock of Ages, the Wisdom and Word of God. But if a student at UVA were to ask me what God is like, what is God like? I could do no better than to respond as did the Apostle Paul with these words in the book of Colossians as to what, as to what Jesus is like. Paul writes that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So if you only answer one of my top 10 questions at this Lenten season, answer this one. Who do you say Jesus is? To say Jesus is Lord is a statement of doctrine. It's the short answer to the question, who is Jesus? To say Jesus is my Lord is a statement of salvation. Now I live and swim in an academic community and students encounter a lot of questions in the classroom, the laboratory and on tests. I don't know of any more important question that can be raised than the one Jesus put to Peter. Who do you say Jesus is?
And in a way, we can't answer that question unless we have a sense of who we are. There are scholars at my university who contend that you and I are nothing more and nothing less than a co-location of atoms. According to them, we are featherless bipeds. We live in a universe that has no ultimate purpose. If that's the case, there's no sense asking who Jesus is. But if you believe there's a God, you might then wonder, why did he create you? Here's how Peter Kreeft answers that question. God created billions of other people. Were they not enough for him? No, they were not. He had to have you. Even if you are the one sheep that's lost, Jesus will leave the 99 others or the 9 billion others to seek you wherever you are. He will come into your life in its joys and sorrows and even on the cross, your sin. The Bible teaches that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, you and I, might have and even become the righteousness of God. One of the splinters on the cross that pierced his flesh was yours. And you know what? If Jesus is your Lord, one of the gems in his crown is also yours. That's how much Jesus loves you. Let me close with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.